shit moods and we're not going to get right, in. All you want to do is pick today. a fucking fight. And you I don't want to pick a fight. This is so silly. You're just sitting there going, I'm in a really pissy mood. And, and I fucking told you straight up that I was. Right. And what are you trying to do? I'm not trying to do fucking shit. You're just sitting there being a complete dick. You're really helping matters. You're yeah. really good at that. I was straight up with you and I told you I'm in a shit mood. And what have you been doing? Fucking picking at me all night. Come on, guys. We got better things to do. Right? Yeah, I do. I, I do. A band trades in their remaining credibility in one of the lamest ways ever so that they are able to record what we'll call a polarizing album this week on the Pool Scene Podcast. Polarizing, that's an understatement. This is a swim meet series episode. For new listeners, it's mostly like our standard episodes, but tackling different subjects such as documentaries, TV, music, video games, whatever we dream up that's not a traditional movie. Let me say first, I am 100% in support of therapy. It is oh, a, big time. It's a useful tool for people to deal with things either temporarily or long-term. It's great. However, the arguable biggest air quotes metal band of all time needing to hire a big name sports psychologist just so that they can be in the same room with each other is so lame. Jason Newstead. At that time, the manager suggested that we have a psychotherapist come in, a man that meets with pro ball teams, you know, big ego, big dollar guys that can't get along but have to make some kind of entity flow so everybody else and everybody can make the money. And uh, I actually said, I think, that this is really fucking lame. There are deeper issues at play, but... How are they convinced that this would be in any way positive for them? I mean, it. people like said it was, we're pulling back the curtain. We've never given the fans anything. We're, this is the, us pulling back the curtain. Yeah, but I'd rather have seen them pull back the curtain during the Black Album. I mean, there's bands that you want the the curtain pulled back on and then other bands. Like, I don't want the curtain pulled back on Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> or, and we saw them without the makeup. We're like, yeah. oh, okay, no, thank you. And I don't want the band. Them is Metallica. I don't want the curtain pulled back on Metallica. Metallica to find out that their issues are basically just the singer and the drummer hate each other. There's a lot of daddy issues, a ton of daddy issues. But what I don't get is Q prime management who are Metallica's management company wanted this therapist to come in to help psychoanalyze and bring this band back together and record the next album, which Q prime just wanted more money. That's all they wanted inevitably. And they don't give a shit how they feel. So, again, this is Metallica as we are covering the 2004 documentary Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, a.k.a. The Lars Ulrich Story, directed by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. Together, those two have directed and produced a lot of true crime stuff, including the Paradise Lost documentaries about the West Memphis Three. Yeah, I remember. That's a really good one. Metallica had actually given their music to, I think it was Paradise Lost Three, for free. So they said, you can use our music for free. Because of that, like the filmmakers and Metallica stayed in touch. So some kind of monster was Metallica's idea. Bad idea. They were like, hey, we want you to come film us do therapy. Metallica was coming off their lawsuit against Napster, which alienated their younger audience who thought, Napster and similar sites were the coolest thing in the world. They were awesome, man. Guilty. Yeah, guilty I as charged it. here. I, I love Napster. It was great. 
I'll download uh, track one from <laughs> yeah. you know, from unknown artist. Yeah, sure. Lars Ulrich of Metallica has made defeating Napster a personal crusade, appearing before a Senate committee, sitting just a few feet away from Sean Fanning. Now, this is not just about music, Charlie. We are probably right now two to three months away from having a situation where you can download a 90-minute motion picture in real time. So the day Gladiator opens in a theater near you, you can sit there and swap or whatever nice word they use, swap Gladiators or whatever other motion pictures around. How about around. share files? Sharing? I don't, this is not sharing. If me and you share a sandwich, I'm left with half a sandwich. Oh, but you know what they would what? say? That, but you, this is duplicating. They this would is say, not no, no, sharing. But what they would say. And they were also in the midst of the longest hiatus that the band had ever been through. Each member of the band had done some magazine interviews expressing discontent with the band, and there was a lot going on. The events of the movie all lead to a bad album, to uh, say it's bad. And then the one after that, probably even worse, Death yeah. Magnetic. So the events of the movie all lead to a bad album being recorded, which we'll talk about later. But overall, the documentary is pretty good in a laugh at Metallica sort of way. Which is bad. Jim, before we go any further, let us know what world we were living in at the time of release and number one ones because i will say i think i have it in best scenes later james's fashion choices i don't know what the fuck he's wearing a, a von dutch tank top he has like a guy fieri button up flame bowling shirt at one point he's almost jesse james yes he yeah. has that rat rod like, and has a west coast choppers ring like it's stereotype very weird but before i get to you know what was going on at the time like i said Five-star reviews, everybody. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We select it. We read it. You get a prize. So I want to take a shout-out to another five-star review, Kevin. This is from The Whole Reffin' Show. Shout-out The Whole Reffin' Show. Fun and informative. Kevin and Jim just don't talk about the movie they're covering. They come prepared with tons of facts, trivia, side tangents, and more. These two have great chemistry together. They're longtime friends, and it shows. It's an action-packed hour or so that speeds by. You can't wait for the next episode. Thank you, Whole Reffin' Show. I'm going to send you out a little price-ski for leaving that five-star review. That's all you got to do, guys. The Whole Reffin' Show. The Whole, whole Reffin' show. show. So some kind of monster came out on July 9th, 2004. I sounded just like James Hetfield post Black Album because he blew out his voice. Only made $2 million at the box office. This isn't really the type of thing you want to go to a box office and see. Why? Was our opening night at the IMAX experience? I don't want to fucking be here, man. I'm going to open it to fucking fuck. <laughs> so one big note that happened in July of 2004, the cornerstone of the Freedom Tower is laid on the side of the World Trade Center in New York City. This was largely a symbolic event. Actually, the construction would not start for a several more weeks. And as you all know, the Freedom Tower was renamed One World Trade Center and it took a couple more years for it to be completed. Actually, it took about another 10 years or so to get completed. Freedom fries. That's right. Remember when everything after that just be like, they're not French, they're freedom. Like, what the fuck did France do to us? Nothing to do with it. They're doing 9 11. Freedom fries, motherfucker. God damn it. The number one movie in America is one that I have gotten shit on for my take about it. I don't think it's any good. Spider Man 2. Hate that movie. Tobey Maguire one. Yes. Tobey Maguire, Spider Man 2. A lot of people say it's one of the greatest superhero movies either. I think you're all high on the drugs. The number one song in the United Kingdom, never heard of this song, obviously by McFly. 
one song for one week the song which is number one in america at the time became the number one in the uk after us ushers burn became the number one song in america then the united kingdom but that's what was going on in and around this time in July of 04. All right. Before we move into the plot. Before dash four. Before dash four, we get into the plot. Let me give you a brief history of Metallica. Ooh. Try to keep this brief. Yeah, okay. Metallica was formed in 1981 when Danish drummer Lars, you, you say Ulrich or Ulrich? Ulrich. Because it's both. Yeah. Lars Ulrich. And post, his dad. Posted an ad in an LA newspaper, The Recycler. Looking for musician, metal musicians specifically to jam with. Two members of a band called Leather Charm. Perfect. Responded, which was James Hetfield and Hugh Tanner. Lars Ulrich also, now I don't know how this came to be, but basically Lars had asked Brian Slagle, who is the founder of Metal Blade Records, to record a song with them for a compilation being put out by Metal Blade. Okay. So they were just like, if you look into Lars a little bit, he's childhood friends with like people in high places. So he's in the know. He's in the know. So they had an inside track. The name Metallica came from one of Lars's friends who he was trying to start a metal fanzine. And one of the names that he was going to name the magazine, there was like Metal Maniacs, Medical... Medical, medical Maniacs? Sure, medical, that's a hell of a movie. Whatever. But one of them was Metallica. So they were like, okay, that's that's the name. While still looking for another guitar player, James and Lars hired Dave Mustaine. But because, <sighs> and only because, <laughs> he had expensive equipment. They liked all his, like, his rig and his gear. Hi, guys. My name's Dave. Yeah, it's just fucking great. Is that a PV over there, man? Thank Sweet. you. Dave, of course, went on to found Megadeth after getting kicked out of Metallica, which we'll get to. Who, according, just thinks it's, like, second rate, even though he had some bangers with He's Megadeth. He's so upset over it. God damn, Dave. Come the on. The song recorded for the aforementioned compilation, it actually generated a lot of word-of-mouth buzz. Metallica played their first live show in March of 1982 with Hetfield, Lars, Dave Mustaine, and bass player Ron McGovney, the Pete Best of the Beatles of the Metallica. Yes. The Metallica. I love the Metallica. I love the Metallica. <laughs> it's like the Facebook. It's cleaner. <laughs> they didn't really like... Well, actually, full circle. Yeah. Because that's Sean Parker, the founder of Napster. Bingo. So, boom. Bring it together, full people. Full circle. Welcome. Whirlpool. They didn't really like McGovney because they didn't think he was a contributor. So, like, Lars and James and Mustaine were pushing the envelope and, like, making something new. Wait, somebody else was trying to be a part of a band that they really weren't? Oh. And, yeah. And uh, McGovney, he just was there, a lot, like, for the ride. So, they had seen a band called Trauma at Whiskey A Go-Go on the Sunset Strip and were absolutely blown away by bassist Cliff Burton. He was a finger player. He's fucking awesome. And they convinced him to join in place of McGovney. I don't know where he's at. Might be selling Freedom Prize somewhere. <laughs> by 1983, Metallica was ready to record their first album, but decided to kick Dave Mustaine out of the band because of not only drug abuse, but violent behavior. Which makes sense. The same day that they kicked Dave Mustaine out of the band, he was replaced with Kirk Hammett, the guitar player from Exodus. 
the first album originally called, and you know it, Jim? Oh, it was Kill Em All, but yeah, you know what it was originally called? No, what it was called. Metal Up Your Ass. Yeah! And they changed it. Damn it. In September 1986, after the release of their third album, the band members were on the tour bus, and they drew cards to determine sleeping arrangements. I can't imagine the bus was probably very nice. Probably School bus. Took turns, you know, with, with no that shitting sort of on the bus. So Cliff chose to sleep in Hammett's usual bunk. That night, the bus driver lost control, flipped the bus several times. All the members were totally fine, except Cliff, who was pinned under the bus, and the band stood there and watched him die. Very sad. 40 bass players auditioned to replace Cliff, but ultimately, Jason Newstead was selected. Fast forward four more albums, and it brings us to 2004, 2003, and the events of Some Kind of Monster. Now, I'm going to specify that I watched this on Netflix. So on Netflix, this is a two hour and 20 minute long movie. So there, I think there's some bonus stuff yeah, that's they not throw included on the DVD. Now, there's also a part two, but the part two we'll talk about later. It's not some kind of monster. It's bonus stuff. With that said, let's drum into the plot of some kind of monster. Our story begins with Metallica at a low point. As I mentioned, there was a lot of backlash because of they became the face of the Napster lawsuit. Thank you, Lars. Yeah. Lars was so pissed that people were stealing Metallica music for, and distributing it for free that it just, they became the face. Lars became the face he of Napster. He dragged the band down with him. Jason Newstead has quit because he wanted to record an album with his side project, Echo Brain, and James Hetfield said it would take away from Metallica. Yeah. Echo Brain tearing up the charts. The band has decided to work with, quote, performance enhancement coach, Phil Towle. I met Metallica through Q Prime Management after having seen me work with another band of theirs when they called and said that Metallica, with Jason uh, announcing that he was exiting the group, needed to take a look at himself and say, well, what's going on here? We've lost touch with our personal relationships and face some of the issues that I think Q Prime felt that they were headed for. You have to remember, even before all this shit happened with the fans and people shitting down on Metallica, they were dead to rights after they cut their hair for the loadout. Yeah, yeah. That's... What is this shit, man? James can't cut his hair. He's Samson. Like I was saying, it's just hair or just, you know, it's no it's big fucking deal, man. I also think, I mean, you can't discount age. I mean, when you get older, I think you give a shit less about some of that type of stuff. Um, I you know, I mean, anybody, do you look the way that you did when you were 19 right yeah. now? I mean, it's, do you, I just, it's like, because you're in the spotlight or something, you know what I mean? It's like you, people expect you, you know, these things about, you know, Oh, they always discount aging. And in this movie, Lars has seven different haircuts. Seriously, this takes place over two years. He changes his it's hair and it grows and every short, week. Blonde and long, long and dark. I can't wait to see Michael Keaton play Lars Ulrich. Jason Newstead agrees with me and said that the band's decision to bring in a therapist, quote, really fucking lame and weak. So he quit. Metallica is working with longtime producer Bob Rock to record a new album. Love that, dude. It's a more collaborative than previous efforts. Uh, so basically, before it was like Lars and James brought the songs and they just played. Yeah, them. they wrote them. This time they're like, all right, we're going to sit down and brainstorm. And uh, they go into the studio without any ideas for songs, any lyrics, any rap, any, any rap, any rap, any rhythm, no rap, nothing, no rap. Six weeks in, James and Lars get into an argument and James walks out to check himself into rehab. 
This puts a pause on recording. Lars plays some of the album for his dad, and his dad says, If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. I mean, I don't know for you guys. For, for me, it doesn't cut it, you know. Dude, his dad is a character. Did he find him up on a fjord somewhere? Like, did he get lost? Because I have a feeling this guy can tell you stories to save the world. And it's weird because they take his dad's opinion as like gospel yeah because even cliff bernstein is like yeah it's pretty good his dad i wouldn't give you any <laughs> shit who dad you got a fucking loser i put it in the toilet shit yeah. on it metal up your ass three months later without james the therapist brings in dave mustaine to meet with Ulrich. this is the saddest part of this whole thing to come to terms with his resentment about being kicked out of metallica so dave thought that they edited this in a way to make him look bad and then he didn't want it in the movie but he had signed a release form. So sobbing Dave Mustaine. Yeah. Who thought Megadeth was always second to Metallica. And all, all he ever said was, you weren't there when I needed you. All you had to do was pick up a phone. After six months with no James, the band gives up their lease where they've been recording. The Presidio. Which is just a house. That's all it is. It's, it's like so an army funny. It's like a, a house. And James like, oh, this place has a vibe for sure. I'm like, it just looks like a drywalled bedroom. Yeah, you asshole. James gets out of rehab and returns to the band at their new studio. But per the terms of his rehab, he can only work four hours per day. Oh, uh, by the way, it's quarter to four. I got to get rolling, guys. Sorry. But there's more. The band is also not to work on, listen to, discuss, think about the recorded material without him. Tell me I can't even fucking listen to this, man. I want to listen to it. Play it. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear the first one. Yeah, the first day. Well, let's play. Is it okay? Are we alive? Yeah, we are. Do we have... We never really settled that, did we? We didn't settle it. Yes, we're allowed. Oh, I'd like to hear it. You're free to leave the room wherever it doesn't want to be part of that. This leads to more fighting between James and Lars. The band's chemistry begins to return, and they realize that the therapist has inserted himself a little bit too much, a little too much Phil. So what part of our career are you going to manage today? I thought I'd do the whole thing, so huh? you guys can't do anything. I mean, I'm just, you know, if you guys could run something, it would be easy to step back. Because <laughs> you can't, you know? It's got to be someone. Is today the first day you're going to play drums? way way too much phil when they want to fire him he gets pissed he gets uh like resentful metallica is chosen for an mtv icon award which they are supposed to perform live for this thing they need a new bass player so they have to like fast track this they hold a contest ultimately replace jason newstead with robert trujillo who's playing reminded them of cliffs because he finger bangs the bass they make a music video for the album's title track saint anger at San Quentin or yeah, San okay. Quentin and James gives a impromptu speech. Yeah. They prepare to tour for the first time in three years. And Lars says you can make aggressive music without negative energy, which is hilarious. Fucking hell. Despite fucking sucking, St. Anger debuts at number one in 30 plus countries. Let's find out which scenes made a splash. I lost count throughout watching this entire thing. How many times Lars and James just fucking just dig. One of the first ones is James and Lars are sitting in the studio. This is what leads to James going to rehab. I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? I think it sounds stock to my ears. I mean, you want me to write it down? I think oh, yeah. it, I feel it stock, I I okay? So I... Come, no, come. when you say you're telling me what to play right now, you're telling me you should play with what Kirk's doing, and I'm telling you it's stock. Dude, fine. You know what, guys? 
Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? Sitting in the studio, and Lars the whole time is like, just fucking, fucking just sounds stock, man. Sounds fucking stock. Yeah, stock is the word that gets thrown around a lot. stock and filler. Kirk plays a guitar solo, and they're like, it's stock. Everything's stock. And then James basically gets so fed up with like, what the fuck do you want us to do? You're not adding anything. He's like, he always gesticulates with his hands, and he's always chewing gum. He's always chewing fucking gum. You know what? It's fucking filler, man. I don't know. And this leads to them having a big blow up. James goes off to rehab and filming doesn't resume for an entire year. And then when James gets back, he acts surprised like, oh, the cameras are still here and the boom mics are falling. You signed on for this just because you you went to rehab. You wanted this. A lot of this movie is just straight up the wedge between James and Lars. Kirk's mellow. Not a really egotistical person. In fact, I've... I've spent a large amount of my time trying to, like, downplay my ego and get it even smaller and smaller. That's part of my beliefs. I try to be an example of being egoless to the other guys. He has his shit together. Can we all just get along? He's along for the ride. He's watching his horses on his ranch. Yeah. And Lars, he wants to do the therapy. James hates the therapy. James doesn't like the way Lars drums because he plays that one part and he's trying to like reinvent drumming. There's that one song where he's playing some weird thing. And doesn't he just get so exhausted and he's like, you got to do one more. He's like, fuck. You sure I don't have to play it again? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Jason Newstead's right. The biggest heavy band in the world can't figure this out, and they need to bring in a therapist. It's so strange. The other thing about this movie is that after Metallica's hiatus, it's like they forgot how to do this. Which is weird. Because, again, we mentioned they changed how the songwriting procedures work. But, like, every time that we see James go in the studio, hold the microphone. He holds a, this little mic stand in the microphone. It's not even in the actual cordoned yeah. off studio. It's actually in the recording area of the studio by the door. It's, it's like, so, I get it. that This is the, the early stages of what these songs would become. But every melody is the same. The lyrics are fucking hilarious. They're so childlike. It's like... <laughs> It's like if you got a, a room full of three or four-year-old preschoolers and they're like, write a song. I've, wor- I've worn out being afraid. My endless parade of fear that I've constantly made. My lifestyle determines my death style. A rising tide that pushes <laughs> to the other style. side. It's insane. I can't remember. It was one of the first songs they're doing and James and he's like, just fucking horrible. And Bob Rock just says, I've worn out being afraid. Just, it doesn't work. The just, great, the great, you did one great thing. You went, yeah. You did this one syncopated thing. Do the whole verse like that. For not always being afraid, an endless dream of fear that I made. Spread tick, 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 tock, I gladly trade. 
It's but weird. It's, it's weird, you know? It's, yeah, it no, but the, the second time you felt really comfortable with it. But then it made more sense. Not that the song was really that great. No, none of them are but, good. Oh my God, they're fucking horrible. Yeah, I, I really like there's one part. What's, what's he say? Oh, there's a song that I think Kirk writes. And, Wait, Lifestyles Through My Death Styles? And, yeah. Death and, Styles. And James is getting ready to sing and he's holding his mic and he goes, hey, uh, this isn't this isn't stick your hand in a clam. And he's like, it's stick your hand in clay, right? And he goes, stick your hand in the clam. That's the song they write. Stick your hand right in my clam. That sounds better than James's melodies because it's like, it's literally like watching him read the words off a page and singing it without a melody. It's just like if you sang every word of every sentence, like, so weird. See, the weird thing is before. St. Anger, there was a five-year gap between St. Anger, and I will go over the names of what they were going to call this album, which are incredible, and Garage Inc., which were basically a cover album. Yeah. Then their last real album was Reload, the follow-up to the national treasure known as Load. Yeah. How do you forget just the... Well, that, and, and it blows my mind. Who knows? The process may have looked like that previously, but it wasn't filmed. No. And like, we're literally watching them film infantile versions of these songs. Every melody sounds the same. The lyrics are fucking piss. They're horrible. They're terrible. Well, not just the lyrics are bad. The way this album was recorded sounds horrible. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. And it got even worse with Death Magnetic, their follow-up to this gem. My next one, ugh, Dave Mustaine, man. It's been hard, Lars. It's been hard to watch... Everything that you guys do and you touch turn to gold and everything I do fucking backfire, you know? You're just now encountering something I've been going through 13, 14 years. I've never had a chance to be able to tell you without talking to Lars, the guy in Metallica. Never talked to my little Danish friend again. Yeah. God damn. Him just pouring his... James is off of rehab, so it's literally just Lars, Dave, and the fucking therapist. And just Dave just pouring his heart out to Lars like... You know, I was a drunk and I had all this shit, but you know, everything I did after I left Metal after you guys kicked me out was just second rate. Dude, Megadeth had some fucking yeah. bangers. Like Symphony of Destruction was great. He basically just rid off everything he ever did after he got kicked off Metallica. And he's just crying. Yeah. Almost saying to Lars. Do you have any idea of what I put you through? What no no no. What I went through. I mean, people hate me because of you. You know, I, I walk down the street and I hear some piece of shit say, Metallica, at me, and they do that to taunt me. I mean, when I would hear Metallica on the radio, I would be like, God, I have to turn this off because I just keep thinking, I fucked up. Yeah, I watched, my wife watched some of this with me. She had never seen it. And she couldn't get over, she couldn't like hear anything Dave was saying because she was like, he did that to his hair. He straightened and like poofed his bang he has a perfect and he aunt, has these ringlets like he, he has a perfect got, aunt sally 1982 haircut. got out the curling iron for that part it's pretty so, bad so he could cry i like um james trying to be unfamous <laughs> so towards the beginning of the movie yeah. he gives this speech that really doesn't make any sense about how it is it is kind of strange being you know like a famous guy you know this is this is part of me that's trying to be unfamous, I guess. It's the, every band, the pressures of being famous. He's very famous at this point. It was beyond famous. The album opened number one in 30 countries. That tells you how famous they are. He's trying to like reject that and he's dealing with a lot of shit. Like James in this movie has mental illness. Yeah. And he needs to deal with all of that. That's like part of it. He's never dealt with it for no, over 30 and, years. And you hear Kirk say like, 
they strip you down in those places. They don't just like, okay, you're an alcoholic. We're going to keep you from alcohol. No, they like, they tear you down down to your core to rebuild you. James has this rat rod with flames so that he can be rebellious. And then we see him get pulled over by police after driving the rat rod. It's, it's really a great edit. There's another James crisis scene where he shows, this is to me the most fucked up thing in this movie. He shows the band pictures of how he went to Russia and he shot bears and he drank vodka. And he couldn't eat the bears because they were poison meat. You find out after that while he was on the vacation, he missed his son's birthday. That was the most I, I missed my family ever, you know. Right. And it was, you know, Caster's first birthday I missed. Right. And it was, well, of course, we had a little vodka to Caster, you know, oh, a little sure, shot yeah. for him and everything. But I... I would have loved to have been able to get a hold of home. So like, yeah, cause he starts breaking down crying. You about assume, it. okay, you're taking a vacation from the band. You are going on vacation with your family, except he's not, he's going on vacation with who knows who, but you don't really have a real job. So you don't have to go on vacation during your son's birthday. So he made the choice to go shoot bears in Siberia during his son's birthday. And again, he has the flame bowling shirt. He has the Von Dutch tank top. Dude. He's got all these goofy hats and jewelry. It's like he's going through not just a mental health crisis, but an identity crisis. Because the thing about a band like Metallica is they're one of the innovators of thrash metal. They're Big one time. of the four pillars of thrash, along with Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. So they're one of the, the four pillars of thrash. And as times change, bands like this, Metallica at this point has been around for 40 years. So you have to decide... Do we conform to the trends that are happening or do we remain true to ourselves? And I think that's how you end up with a ba- an album like St. Anger. St. <laughs> Anger. I can't stop laughing about it enough. But as they were creating St. Anger, James gets back from therapy, from rehab. He has set hours. He can only record. You can only do band stuff. Not without him because he's paranoid that they're doing all these decisions without him there. When I'm gone, things get talked about and then decisions are made and I feel I walk into something that's already kind of decided and it's a total uphill battle for me a lot of times. I don't like that feeling. Well, that's like just like the last 15 years. Yeah, for me. Well, let's talk about let's let's talk about this tomorrow then. Or, right. or do you want to take time out? No, I don't have time okay. right now. Okay. 12 to 4, that's it. So it leads into another battle with Lars. Yep. Lars is just pacing around this kitchenette area. When I was running this morning, I was thinking about seeing you today, the word fuck just comes up so much. That's <laughs> really true. Is that in a no, anger? Fuck! Fuck. I just think you're so fucking self-absorbed. And what makes it worse is that you always talk about you always talk about me, you use the word control and manipulation a lot. I think you control on purpose and I think you control inadvertently. I think you control by the rules you always set. I think you control by how you always judge people. I think you control by your absence. I think you, you, contr- you control all of this even when you're not here. You know, we're trying to make you better. And I, and I get it. I have a problem with the fact that we can't fucking get anything done just because it doesn't conform to your time. It all keeps building and building. I feel bad for Kirk Hammett because he's like a yeah. battered wife just sitting there, just head down. Be like, what the hell's happening? Fucking weird Phil the therapist, which, wow, this guy with the David Ruprecht supermarket sweep sweaters all the time. But then at one point, Lars gets right in James' face and just yells. Oh. 
See? Fuck. 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 Yeah, I like right real close to him. But after all of that, James says, I'm glad you told me all yeah. this. I needed to hear this from you. Well, yeah, Lars tells him he's manipulative and he's he's got yeah. control issues. Yeah. And it's it's right because if they had to if they if James wasn't there and they listen to the album and they make a breakthrough on a song, it's not like they can do anything without him. He they still are gonna have to run it by well, him. Bob even says, you know, he acknowledges the twelve to four. But he's like, a lot of work needs to get done. And James like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. You're telling me that long hours, like eight hours? He's like, I don't know if I can do eight hours right now. And then James revisits that when they talk about going on a tour. He's like, I'm hesitant about tour because I don't know yeah. how I'm going to react to being out there again. Lars and Kirk going to Jason's Echo Brain gig. And it makes Lars feel like a failure that he can't keep his band together. It's real weird. Jason is the future. Metallica is the past. Because Echo Brain doesn't really, it's not like they're playing an arena that's bursting at the seams it reminds me of the movie rockstar where you go to it like the coffee shop yeah. and it's like oh man it's that whole thing that if you're an artist a creator in any sort of, like i was in wrestling or if you're in we're in podcasting you're always going to compare yourself to someone else metallica literally one of the most successful bands of all time they're going through this little tiff whatever but in doing so it's like he's jealous of Jason's band. And when you look at that, it's so ridiculous because... Well, they have their shit together. And every time you hear like Lars... Well, you, the, he, he thinks they do because yeah. he's watching them play. But in reality, he doesn't know. The weird thing about Metallica is how they really see each other when booze isn't involved. Because every time you would hear old stories about Lars and James and Cliff, it always involved 20 plus beers. Oh, yeah. 40 beers that night. I don't well, remember. You think that they're exaggerating or using hyperbole. They're not. He's like, that magic number is 32 beers. Or something. Yeah. It's like 32 beers. That's how they got along. That's how they fucking lived their life. And then they're finally getting older. They have families and kids. And it's a lot of them can't relate to that. Next thing I got, which is really, 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 really weird. Lars selling his art. I never looked at it as an investment, but I always looked at it as versus some of the other guys are maybe like taking a big pile of money and parking it in the bank. I would always like take a big pile of money and park it on my wall. I can just feel some of the adulation that other people have thrown at these paintings and that makes me proud. I love and this scene. Lars decides to sell his art collection and he has it posted all over his house, including so, this. So uh, let's say, all right, kids out there listening. Yeah. Before there were NFTs and apes. <laughs> And uh, I still don't know what the fuck NFTs are. And whatever. And, and rich people, they, they bought art as investments before yeah. NFTs and cryptocurrency. Investments were art. Yeah. You'd buy a famous artist's paintings because they were only going to go up in value. But he got into fucking art and he decides, I'm going to sell my collection, just wipe it all clean. Him at Christie's art studio, where he's just fucking. Walking around at his paintings, he gave one of his paintings a too sweet. He's dropping fucking champagne everywhere, and he proceeds as his paintings are selling for two million, six hundred thousand, five million. He's just getting drunker and drunker and drunker. Is watching this all just start going away. It's like a piece of his old self went with those art paintings. Yeah, well, which he needed it, to. Is it his assistant? 
his assistant. It's like every 10 years, who looks like him a little bit. Yeah. Right? He's like every 10 years, Lars likes to reset and move forward. Yeah. So he basically decides it's time and he sells him. And yeah, he makes a shit ton of money from this. A couple million. A side, side note is Lars actually convinced Jason Newstead to do this too, which was invest in art and it worked out for him as well. Shit, that's what we should have did. Actually, and then Jason Newstead actually became a painter himself who was influenced by his wife and ended up being a, a he does gallery shows and stuff now. Fuck. The art has treated Metallica well. Or, as Lars incorrectly spells at one point in this movie, Metlica. I love <laughs> Been in the band for 30 years. I can't even spell the name. Fucking name. The band has to record promos for a radio I was going to say that, too. It's the best. It's pretty funny, but it honestly... And, and play some of it. Hey, man, uh, keep it logged right here and... What? We'll help you score $1,000. This is James from Metallica. Survey says... You need cash. <laughs> Your money shot to snatch a bunch of cash is coming soon. In order to suck both nationwide radio chains off, we uh, are now standing here having to do this fucking stupid thing. Up to 50 motherfucking grand, goddammit. Win a bunch of money and walk away. <laughs> this is <a> stupid. <laughs> Sharpen that booger-picking finger and be the 50th. <laughs> hey, it's Lars from Metallic here. I'm about to stick 50 grand up your ass. <laughs> it's just, it's them fucking around. It probably giving them vibes of like what it used to be like to hang out. And, but this is the moment, I think, that brings them back together. Yeah. That makes them realize like, we don't need therapy. Like yeah, we're, no. we can do this. We don't need to pay $40,000 a week. 40 for two years they had fucking phil and the, when it all comes to a point like my girlfriend even said as we were watching this she's like why is this creepy therapist in there with when they're trying to get a new basis why is he in there with twiggy ramirez yeah. why what is he contributing to this and it finally all comes to a head where lars kirk and james meet in the room and they go do we need this anymore because james even's like i think he thinks he's part of the band now to the point where he's putting these inspirational like Fucking messages all zone, zone it. it. And all these things <laughs> well, find the zone. The one, yeah, like zone. Admission is believing. Oh, I guess I'm not gonna be playing today then, huh? I'm going to go out and make phone calls. The zone. There won't be any playing today if you're not in the zone. And Lars is like, I guess I'm going home. <laughs> he just up and goes. And even Bob sits in the studio because Phil, the therapist, is like, what are you guys singing? He's like, you know, I understand it. I embrace it and all that stuff. But sometimes, sometimes it just bugs me. I think the uh, that thing was kind of bugging me yesterday. All of them around the studio it was just kind of like that way of thinking just doesn't work for me all the time. And I was a little pissed off at it because right now in my life, it's not really working for me. No, I, I'm glad to know you feel. To be quite honest with you, I fucking hate it. It's, <laughs> I walk around, I see these dumb fucking sayings, I'm done with it. And then it finally, James is like, I think we're going to change our agreement because it sounds like you just want to up and move your family from Kansas City, San Diego. And he's like, I w I w if it scared you and that's part of the, the issue going forward, then let me say we haven't decided we're moving here. I've tried to make it clear that, that, um, we're selling, I think we've told people we're selling our house in Kansas City, but that doesn't mean we're moving here. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say I'm moving all yeah, the way out of here. We're yeah. moving. If I was getting paid $40,000 a week, I'm going to try to fucking put concrete in my shoes so I don't have to move. They basically fire him. And then he's sort of like, well, I'll see you next week. He's still, he's a goddamn yeah. leech. Yeah. One of the weird things with Phil and just with all of them, the fucking, them always making the sandwiches and stuff. There's yeah. this like kitchen that they spend a lot of time at and they're always just like a bunch of 
sandwich stuff around. And there's one point where <laughs> they're always eating. Phil's making a sandwich and Lars goes, you going to play drums today? Or like, <laughs> it's fucking, it's like brutal. Cause like Lars would be in a fucking dick to him. No, Lars is the dick mouth. He's like, you're going to, you're going to play drums today. You're going to do that. And Phil's just like, oh, I don't know. I like, wish there was a scene in where Lars or Kirk or James or even all three, they walk in a studio. Like who's playing in the studio. They might think it's his kid. No, it's fucking Phil, Phil. just banging on the drums. Like he's Neil Pert. I'll be in there licking uh, one of James 300 guitars. Yeah. So speaking of 300 guitars, my favorite scene in this entire movie, the bass auditions. He was the first guy of any of them that didn't look like he was struggling with it. That's what I told Bob. But do you know what I mean about like, it? you know, some of the other guys, it was sort of 10% over their capabilities mm -hmm. or something like yeah. that. And you don't feel that with this guy at all. It's like the last three songs. Like sanitarium, nothing else matters, and what was those? Uh, sad. 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 They were flawless. And looked over at him during Whiplash, and he was just right in the pocket and in there. And then afterwards, when he played it alone with his finger, it, it hadn't been played that way since Cliff. It's just like, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. His fingers are pick, you know? Yeah. So it's it's great. So it's just Metallica in the like studio having a blast with these guys. So basically, again, there's the MTV icon. It's not an award show. It's just like a... It's an homage. It's like Corn was playing yeah. like Sanitarium. So then they have to close the show by playing, and but they're going to need a bass player. They can't really have Bob Rock out there doing it. No offense to Bob. He's yeah, been in the band forever. Studio bassist. They need to bring in a bass player. And basically, they get the inside track on a bunch of these guys. Like Jim mentioned, Twiggy Ramirez, who played with you know Marilyn Manson, have one guys for a, was a corrosion of conformity. Yeah, Caius, uh, the one dude played for Alanis Morissette. Like big, good names. Yeah, man. like big names, like big free agent names. And uh, ultimately, they go Robert. Yeah. So that, but they they bring these guys in. They just get the, like Metallica's like, what do you want to play? Well, Robert's like battery. Yeah. He put, battery. Let's can, we can try that. And they're like, you can play that fast with your fingers. And yeah. he's like, yeah. So he, he kills it. They literally are like, no one's played it like that since cliff. So that's probably what seals the deal for him. But these guys are probably like nervous and shitting their pants. Cause even though they're big names, you have a chance to be in Metallica, which Caius is fucking awesome. Corrosion of conformity. Yeah. Awesome. But like the pay scale bump from those bands to Metallica, we want you to be a real member of this band not just a hired right. hand right absolutely and um oh, wow. i'd like to offer you uh basically to give to show you how serious we are about this offer you a million dollars uh, to join our band right now <laughs> and um right, right. and as a good as a kind of a good faith thing about how serious we are it's an advance it's an advance on some percentage you're going to be making with the right. band here's money up front mm -hmm. to get you kicked in and inspired right. and this is a reality this is my future this is what life can hold for me wow. with my new family robert got a one million dollar just to join the band yeah which i'm still unclear about because they tell him hey to sign this contract we're gonna give you a million dollars up front but then the other one's like it's just an advance well, at one point when they're all sitting in a room going over the contracts, the one guy I think was a representative saying, Robert, you only get 5% and Lars is like, no, he's part yeah. of this band. Yeah, so they do the, con the contract negotiation because they're like, everything up to this point or whatever is Metallica's. Yeah, but that's what they're going over the voting, the equal shares yeah. of voting in any Metallica issue. Not that we know he got equal shares. They could have cut camera and go 6%. <laughs> yeah. 
one point two. Yeah, fuck you, Trujillo. Uh, they go, no, it's all even, and and Q Prime's the tiebreaker. Except if something like damages or something, or the documentary does get me, it goes on James Kirk yeah. and Lars, and not him, which is fucking great deal. I mean, he's all right, we're cool. But I feel bad for Robert because when they go to the MTV thing, a lot of people are saying you're consider yourself an icon now. You've been with the band for two weeks. Yeah. So he was like fighting an uphill battle for uh, moment one. In fairness, he kind of is an icon because well, yeah. up to that point, he had played with Suicidal Tendencies and Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, it's very true. So, but they're no. like, you're not Jason. Because they were like, is Jason going to have any involvement in this icon hey, thing? Well, that, that part's fucked up. Yeah. Because they're like. So what's Jason's role in all this? What? Who? Okay. I mean, I, I don't think Jason has any role. He lost his icon status when he left the helicopter. Oh! <laughs> 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 Thank you. They're like, Jason lost his icon status the minute he left the band. Just fucking... I mean, say if Cliff didn't die and he left the band, are you saying Cliff can't be a part See, of that either? That's that's the part that's like... I kind of cringe because if Jason watched that, he was probably like a little heartbroken. Wouldn't you? Yeah. You put 15 years into a band yeah. and all of a sudden you get shit on like that? That's pretty bad. You got any other scenes you want to mention? I don't have any other scenes, but Kevin, I want to give you some possible album titles oh, that were yeah. on the Lay whiteboard. On so before it was named St. Anger, or as Lars wanted to say, call it Frantic. Yeah. So we've got Q Prime, members of management, the label. Yep. Who else is in there? The band. The band. The producer. Everybody. The therapist. Yeah. Everybody that's in there that has a say is in there and they're trying to decide what to name the album. So the label guys really like St. Anger. That's a James' contribution. Like, it sounds cool. August 7th, St. Anger's Day. It sounds cool. Oh. Lars is like, I want to call it Frantic. And they're like, well, Frantic gives the implication that you don't know what you're doing. Right. And Lars is and Lars is like, okay, you're right. Yeah. So on the whiteboard in the studio, it says here, possible album titles. Old, ugly, nasty. Good. That's a good one. Best dressed chicken in town. Butchered. Sarcasm with meaning. Metallica. Sarcasm with meaning. Surfing the zeitgeist. Which, wow. There's a name. Unbridled. Floods of vomit. Speed Avenue, Satanic Cuckoo. We're already dead. I actually think it's Satanic Cuckoo Clock, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's got cut off. Yeah, Satanic Cuckoo Clock. We're just haunting together. Feels so much better not to think. Unresolve. Every gift has its price. And honestly, leads with a Z to closeness. I, I'm surprised they didn't call it some kind of monster because yeah. they were so proud of themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's, like it's a track on the album. Say, yeah. One of them kind of just says like, it's like some kind of monster. And they're like, Hey, I like that. Yeah. Some kind of monster. monster. So bad. All right. Critical question. Should have called it death styles. Death styles. <laughs> Lifestyles affect your death style. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going super simple on critical question. Yeah. Favorite Metallica song? Ooh. Probably Lars is fucked up as he is. He's one of the greatest drummers of all time. I would have to say one is probably my favorite okay. by far because it's eight minute long, just masterpiece. But if I wanted to take something off the main, I always liked Four Horsemen off Kill 'Em All. Okay. All right. You didn't like, give me fuel, give me fire, give me hot apple pie. Hey, yeah. Uh, or uh, whiskey in the Jaru. Uh, I I would say the most recognizable are Enter Sandman. Oh, God, yeah. Which is it's 50 iconic. billion listens. One is something because it's kind of like in that transition period, Metallica. Oh, it's also before James blew out his voice. Yeah. Seek and Destroy. Sting. 
and the <laughs> the Unforgiven. Or do you also like the Unforgiven too? No. Uh, uh, goddamn load, man. Goddamn load, man. <laughs> That's the name of the album. Goddamn load, load man. man. It was on the board for Comma. sure. I like uh, Nothing Else Matters. That's a good and one. And it's because it's a ballad, but also I have a ton of nostalgia for the music video because it's like a six minute music video and it's just literally watching them record the album or record the song. But there's all these like blurred out like Polaroids of like girls, you know, flashing the yeah. camera and stuff that they have hanging up. I just have like a ton of nostalgia, nostalgia, I almost said. It's like Mustaine. Yeah. Dave Mustaine, nostalgia. Mustaleja. Mustaleja. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I just, something about remembering seeing the music video and stuff. What would you say your favorite Metallica album is? Death Magnetic. Oh God. No, no. I don't know. And Justice for All is mine. Yeah. So I don't know if I told the story on here, but our senior class song was The Memory Remains by Metallica. And it's because our class president died the summer going into senior year. He was a, he was a really nice kid. He was a huge Metallica fan. So in honor of him... They made our class song, The Memory Remains. All right, Fallout. This basically Fallout legacy of this movie, of Metallica, of everything that happened. Now, I will say, again, I watched this on, on Netflix. So part one is the extended version of the documentary. Part two is it's 10 years later. So they released a 3D narrative concert film called Through the Never that was released in IMAX. And it's like part narrative, like following around a character and part like live performance concert film. So in honor of the same guys did through the never okay so in honor of through the never they like 10 years later looking back on some kind of monster and it's really weird because like james hetfield says that he's actually very thankful that they did the therapy and that they needed it and he was very happy with the therapy because some kind of monster makes it look like he's totally against the therapy and that Lars is the one that's pushing it. Well, it's crazy that this documentary, Robert Trillo, has been in Metallica now for 20 years. Well, right. And that's <laughs> so the producer, Bob Rock, says Metallica will never find a permanent bass player. He's like, ever since Cliff died, you guys are going to find a bass. He's like, get this right. Don't just settle on someone because you're going to just replace him every four to five years. He's like, you'll never have a permanent bass player. And then the one they found in this movie, Robert Trujillo, he's been in the band for what, 18 years yeah. now? So, and along with Jason Newstead, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Metallica because he was actually a bass player longer than Jason Newstead. New Jason Newstead longer than Cliff. So he's Metallica's longest tenured bass player. That's crazy when you think about it. And the sad part of him is that in that 10 years later documentary, when he almost didn't come to the auditions, he stayed out all night, getting all fucked up, drunk. He was like, I know that these guys were like sober. I was real afraid to show up, but he's like, I showed up. He actually points out he's wearing Lars's shirt because he had a purple his, shirt. He hasn't changed his clothes in four days. Oh, he was so ranked. They found him a shirt. And that seems great in general because they literally have, they're like, what kind of bass do you want to play? When Jason left, he took his bases with him. <laughs> four or five uh what, what, what five strings do you have the band the, these guys collectively probably own like five to six hundred guitars so they're not all here wow 
And there's just this whole room. And they're like this. There's 300 more in James's Yeah, place. they just have all these basses and guitars and stuff. And they have like four string and five string and all these different, you know, bass guitars. But he's like, I was really fucked up. He's like, honestly, he's like when they offered me that or uh, not when they offered a million dollars. But he's like, when I was there, he's like, I didn't even know what to say because I was all fucked up. If you look, I was completely out of my mind. You got lucky. Do you think Cuse would have ended up taking it? I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe Twiggy. A Twiggy's a weird fit in Metallica. Yeah, I mean, true. Twiggy's a good bass player, yeah. anything, but like just a weird fit. Getty um, Lee. Getty Lee. He's going to leave Rush for Metallica. <laughs> After St. Anger, they released two studio albums. They released like a bunch of like live stuff and that sort of thing, but they released two studio albums. As Jim said, in 2008, they released Death Magnetic. Oh. And in 2016, they released Hardwired to Self-Destruct. So we're going on six years that they haven't had an album. And they're looking kind of old if you've seen them. Well, they're in, they're in their 60s, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. And they're still playing like, you really can't call it like the festival circuit because it's like, they have all these like super shows now. Yeah. Yeah. Which I saw, and, and maybe it's because I'm a little better off now, but like they're having that when we were young fest in Vegas with all of the uh, emo bands and stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't seem real. It seems like a fan made like fantasy music festival poster, but people were like real pissed over the ticket prices. And then on top of it, they were like, oh, the resale sites, they're fucking $400. I'm like, well, if I'm going to fly to Vegas to see this thing, what's $400? You have the money. In the scheme of things, what is $400? I'm like, it's not that bad. I don't think it's that expensive. But in 2019, the band played a live concert with the San Francisco Orchestra that was live streamed to theaters. It made $5.5 million, which is the largest theater rock event ever. Well, Metallica did that before the s and Yeah. Right, and I think this was SM two. Okay, that they did this for. That's really. I don't have a whole lot else. Well, the problem was from a technical side when it comes to Saint Anger and Death Magnetic. A lot of like audio files have gone back in and listened to it. It's the audio's off. It's, yeah, it's, it wasn't recorded properly, especially Death Magnetic. Which I don't understand why or how. I don't know how that gets through but unless somebody they, went through on YouTube and fixed it. Yeah, it sounds way better. It does. Which makes me think that they just mail it in. I always like the story of, I've told on this podcast before, I worked at a store, you know, we sold CDs, bought CDs, movies, collectibles, that sort of thing. Someone had bought it at like Best Buy or Circuit yeah. City, bought it at Best Buy, put it in their car, kind of flipped through the tracks, a mile up the road, pull into the parking lot and sell it to us. <laughs> They're like, I can't, it sounds weird. It's awful. It's a really bad album. It's not Metallica. I don't know what that is, but. It's not Metallica. Metallica. Yeah. All right. Final lap guy. Yeah! The final lap! Jim, what do you got to want to get off your chest this week? Well, my big thing is, and it's all over Facebook, this whole Carhartt thing, I don't get it. All of a sudden, everybody knew what Carhartt was, but now it seems like everybody's wearing their fucking stocking cap, like it became the new the North Face yeah. thing. Now... Because Carhartt came out and said, we're making our employees, they have to be vaccinated. That's the rule. And other says, oh, it's a violation of the freedom. You know what I think about this Carhartt shoes and jacket and hat? I'm going to burn them. Fuck you. You're not going to take my freedom. Well, shithead, you just paid yeah. $30 for that stocking cap, $130 for those shoes. Who's the idiot really? Yeah, the, the person, the people that are quick to accuse everyone else of being a snowflake. snowflake are the ones who are like, I'm going to burn my own stuff. I go hassle. I don't care. Like, it, it it sucks when you find out that some companies supported, like, 
paid $50 billion to elect a Nazi or something. But like, if I have a choice, I guess I prefer not to, to support that company. Yeah. But everyone's shitty. Everyone yeah. sucks. Any major company like Carhartt or any, name any other company, all of those people have beliefs that don't align exactly with WWE. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Every company has, they got to a position of power because they're terrible people probably. Big time. So like you rarely hear of like good ones. The guy from Chobani Yogurt, awesome. I think, I think it's Chobani. No, it's, maybe it's fucking Oikos. I don't know. They all suck. <laughs> so Also, Kevin, you told me, finish Cobra Kai. Last week I said it was episode five. You came in and watched the final episode of the season with me. <sighs> what? I... <sighs> This show, man, I don't know what these writers are doing. Well, this started off as what, a YouTube? It was on YouTube Red when YouTube Red was the thing. So it started off as just like a small scale, pretty low budget sort of thing. For the fans. It was very, yeah, for the fans, very cool. And then Netflix, Netflix threw a ton of money at it or whatever. And now they're like 22 more seasons. <sighs> You know, all the characters are going to be... Cobra Kai will probably end with, like, how Johnny and, and Daniel are feuding. You're going to have fucking Robbie and, and you know, and Miguel opening their own karate uh, studios. You know what? It's going to come to that point where me and you are just going to have to do a swim meet series just to talk about Cobra Kai. Because we have so many issues with this show, just logic-wise. This yeah. season alone on logic is... Yeah. You break your back and a year later you're fighting for an All-Valley Championship almost. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Weather sucks. Been snowed in a bit. Yeah. Haven't been out there. Football this week was fucking great, though. Yeah. Granted, your power was out. My power was out. My power went out twice. One was a uh, last night, 8,000 homes in my area. Lost power because of a fucking truck hit a pole. And uh, so I went to bed at like 830 or something. I woke up to like 25 text messages saying... <laughs> The greatest football game of all time. And I'm like, didn't see it. So we're down to the final four. We're down to Cincinnati, the Chiefs, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Kevin, who's going to Super Bowl 56? Hopefully the 49ers and the Chiefs. We're Browns fans in the AFC North. You've got the fucking Steelers who pull out their dicks and show you the rings. Probably get that shitbag Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and then Baltimore, same thing. Former Browns, you know, they got two Super Bowl rings. I just don't want Cincinnati to get one. Technically, the Rams were a Cleveland team. Yeah, but like, so I was really rooting for the Bills. I wanted uh, Bills Niners Super Bowl. I doubt the Niners are going to beat LA at home. I'm happy for Matt Stafford. I'm yeah. over the moon for the dude. I think it's going to be the Rams and the Bengals. If the Bengals beat Kansas City in Kansas City, I would be impressed. I don't see it happening, but who knows? After this weekend, yeah. anything's possible. It's like I Kevin Garnett. really don't want it to happen again because I can't can't have the the... The Steelers, the Ravens, and, and the, the Bengals, Bengals have all Super, Super Bowls. Bowls and fucking waving our face. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Five star review, everybody. Make sure you yeah, leave five one. star reviews. And next week we return with a real movie. I don't know what. We'll uh, reveal it to you as in opposed time. to a fake movie. <laughs> We're gonna write our own movie and review well, it next week. Just not. I guess a regular episode. Yeah. So I should say not a pool scene uh, series. What pool the fuck? Scene. I say? <laughs> Swim eat series. <laughs> All right, until next week, she's not returning my text messages. Fuck it up, fuck it up.